And I pray your special blessing upon him, that the Holy Spirit will guide and direct his words and his message so that this weekend will be one that will make us more committed to being faithful disciples for the Lord Jesus and hastening the day when we will see him face to face and be home at last with him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 It's really a privilege to be with you. I uh, have been praying for you for the last several weeks. I have a habit, uh, every day at noon, I go for a prayer walk. And most of the time, I take um, a friend, uh, one of the students or a colleague, and we go around Andrews University. It approximately takes about an hour, an hour and 10 minutes. And whenever I accept an invitation, at least for the previous two, three weeks to that invitation, I start praying for the people. So I have been praying for you. I know a few people here. But what's really important is that God knows all of you. And that is what's really exciting and wonderful. He, he knows your names. He knows the number of hair you have. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. He cares about you. Well, uh, tonight, I'm going to share with you a story that is repeated four times in the Gospels. Most stories are repeated a couple times, few three times, but only three stories repeated four times. And that's the one I'm going to share with you. But before that, I'd like you to look at your hands. Some hands are large, some are small. Some are soft, some are callous. But hands can be very powerful. My son wanted to be a professional basketball player. And his idol was Michael Jordan. So we bought a basketball ball. And that cost us $21. But the same ball in the hands of Michael Jordan is worth $55 million. It's all about the hands. It's all about the skillfulness of the hands. My daughter got interested in playing softball. And it cost us only $6. But a baseball in the hands of Alex Rodriguez is worth $26 million. It's all about the skillfulness of the hands. Well, the greatest hands in all of history are the hands of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we're going to talk about your hands and what you can do, I just pray that uh, we will give you everything. We will put our lives, our talents, our future, our churches in your hands. And we're going to expect great things to take place. In Jesus' name, amen. One day, 
there was a funeral of a little boy. Imagine the pain that his mother experienced. And they were taking this little boy in a coffin outside of the city to bury him. As they were leaving the city, Jesus was coming into the city. And he saw this procession. Well, one thing Jesus never liked was funerals. He looked into the eyes of the mother of this child and had compassion on her. And his hand went inside the coffin, touched the little boy, and he came back to life. One day there was a leopard. They're supposed to be outside. It's very contagious disease. His wife never hugged him. His kids, his kids didn't kiss him. Imagine living a life like this. But one day Jesus saw him and had compassion on him. And his hand reached out to him, touched him, and brought health and vitality to him. Well, one day, Jesus, the Bible tells us, wanted to be alone. So he went to a secluded area. But the crowd heard about him, and they went to that secluded area. The crowd was 20,000 people, minimum. The Bible says that the men were 5,000, plus women, plus children. So if we go by our standard today, that will make it a crowd of 20,000. And their standard is probably much bigger than that because now we have two children, while at that time they had as many as eight or 10 children. Well, this crowd came in, and Jesus, rather than paying attention to himself, he started to minister to this crowd. He taught them the whole day. He healed them. He ministered to them. And in the evening, after not eating the whole day, the disciples came to Jesus. And I'd like you to open your Bibles with me now to Matthew chapter 14. That's where one of the places where the story is. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. What was the reaction of the disciples? We'll give them some credit and say, really, they had compassion on the crowd. That's a good thing. They cared about them. 
They came to Jesus and they said, you know, they are hungry. They have been with you the whole day. We need to send them away so they could buy some food. Especially it was in the evening and the supermarkets are going to close. The restaurants are going to close. So what did Jesus say to them? Give them something to eat. Give them something to eat. That's a logical thing to say. So what did they say to Jesus? We don't have it. Go with me to the same story in John chapter 6. Same story. When Jesus said to them, give them something to eat, John chapter 6, verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, that is the equivalent of six months of wages. It's a big crowd. It's probably 20,000 plus. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. We don't have the food. We can work to get enough food for them. Send them away. Let's solve the problem. Let them take care of themselves. But Jesus didn't want the crowd to take care of themselves. He wanted to take care of them. So let's continue with the story. And that is, continue with me in John chapter 6. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad. What is a lad? A little boy. There is a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? So, so in the holy crowd, there was one little boy who was willing to give of his lunch. So if we read between the lines, this little boy knew that Jesus was coming to this area. We knew from other places in the Bible that Jesus loved children. Children loved Jesus. So he said to his mom, you know, I, I am a growing boy. I'm going to go and listen to Jesus the whole day. Give me some lunch to eat. And actually, from the text, we conclude that this little boy comes of a, a, a poor family. How do we know this? Because at that time, the barley was for the poor and the wheat was for the rich. And the other way we know he was very poor is that he had more bread than he had fish. So you put uh, one fish in one loaf and another fish in another loaf, and he is left with three loaves of bread to eat just plain, nothing in them. But he was willing to give them away. So Jesus said, why don't you have the crowd sit in a group? And here's what happened. Jesus took the bread and he went like this. And every one of these became a full loaf of bread. 
And he went again. And he did the same thing with the fish. And this little boy is watching Jesus doing this, and he's amazed. It's like magic. Every piece of bread is becoming two pieces, and then four pieces, and eight pieces. And the same thing with the fish. And eventually, a crowd of at least 20,000 people were fed. And guess what? There were 12 baskets of leftover, one for every one of the doubting disciples. It's a miracle. It's unbelievable. But Jesus did it. I'm going to draw a few lessons from the story. Lesson number one is that the disciples lived in a world of very limited possibilities. But Jesus lived in a world of unlimited possibilities. He could do the impossible. The secret is you give him everything. You put it in his hand. And in the hands of Jesus, a crowd of 20,000 people were fed. unbelievable, but it's true. You know, the Bible has a humor in it. So go back with me to Matthew chapter 14. This is the, the first story. Now go with me to chapter 15. I, in my Bible, I have the New King James Bible. And at the top of my Bible, of every story, there is a heading. And at the top of verse 32, I have a heading. And maybe some of you have the same heading. What does it say? Feeding of the 4,000. Now, in, the, in chapter 14, at the top of verse 13, it says, feeding of what? 5,000. So in chapter 15, it says, the feeding of the 4,000. So now we have a crowd that is smaller than the one we had before, right? The first one was 5,000, come up with 20,000. This crowd is 4,000. Let's say it's 16,000 people. Notice uh, the same, same problem we have. Jesus taught them the same all day. He ministered to them all day. And then um, verse 32 and verse 33. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. He didn't want to send them hungry. He was afraid something bad will happen to them. 
Verse 33, then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? That's crazy. You just saw him doing it. It's not, I mean, the two stories might have happened back to back. That is why the disciples live in a world of very limited possibilities. Jesus lived in a world of unlimited possibilities. They forgot that story. They forgot that he, thousands of years earlier, fed two million people in the desert every day. And it was not a big deal for him. What is a crowd of 16,000? He's the God of the impossible. The issue is not him. The issue is about us. Are we willing to put in his hand everything? And if you do that, a great miracle will take place. I'd like you to think about the level of your faith. How big is it? Is it like the disciples who came up with every excuse? They cannot do it. They don't have it. They cannot work enough to earn enough money to buy the food. It's impossible to do it. Or is it possible? I was thinking about this here. There is a sign that says, pray for a thousand. What is a thousand for God? He's a God of unlimited potential. Think big. Think that God will do great things and not small things. The second lesson I like to share with you is that who is the one who ended up being the source of blessing to everyone. Who was it? The little boy. Have you noticed? We don't know his name. We don't know what tribe he comes from. We don't know his age. I mean, approximate we know that he was a little boy. But he was willing to give whatever he got to Jesus. And in the hands of Jesus, a great crowd was fed. And I was thinking about this in reference to all of us. Maybe you say, I don't have great talents to use for God. It doesn't matter. If you even have five loaves, of bread and two fish, and you give it to Jesus, a great miracle will take place. When women went into the temple and gave a penny, that's it. And she became a source of inspiration to every Christian after that to give generously. God has given you a talent that will bless the world.
just like this boy ended up being a source of blessing to thousands of people. And he ended up being in four stories in the Bible. I mean, what an honor, what a privilege it is to make it to every one of the Gospels. God wants to use you, my friend. God wants to challenge you to do great things for him. You, you have come to know Jesus. And it's really a wonderful opportunity to share this wonderful Lord with your friends and your neighbors and bring them to this hope, to this grace that you are experiencing. You say, well, I don't have the talents of uh, people who work in church growth or evangelism. No. You work in your own armor. God will use you and your talents, no matter how big or small they are. And in fact, sometimes it's an advantage to have a small talent because you're going to depend more on Jesus. And the third lesson is that the real miracle takes place when things go into the hands of Jesus. I actually experienced this firsthand. The story has a very special meaning for me. One day, on a Friday afternoon, my conference president called me and he said, Pastor Joe, I am coming over to your area on Wednesday afternoon. Can we go out to dinner? I said, as long as you pay, I will go out to dinner with you anytime you want me. So on Wednesday afternoon, we went out to dinner. And there was a long chit-chat. And I'm waiting, when are we going to get to the point? I knew this is not only a, a social visit. There is more to it than that. Well, finally he got to the point. He said, we at the conference are really hurting financially. And we have to lay off three pastors in order to be able to balance the budget. But the pastor of the district next to you have accepted a call outside of the conference. So what we thought about doing is giving you one of his churches and give his other church to the person on the other side. And in this case, we only have to eliminate two positions. I said, no problem. We would love to have another church. At that time, we already have a, a big church. We planted another one, and we were in the process of planting a third one. And I said, we would love to have another one. Just tell me more about this church. He said, a group of German immigrants came to this valley next to you and built the most magnificent church you could ever have. It's the nicest in the whole valley. They built a wonderful auditorium, wonderful school, wonderful community service. They grew to about 120 people in attendance. And I'm listening and I'm noticing a trend in what he is saying. Everything he said was in the past. 
So I said, what about today? What is happening to this group of people today? He said, well, because of internal fightings, they have dwindled down to about 13 people. No, I said, that's fine. Do they have any evangelistic meetings? He said, well, the last time they did any kind of evangelism was 26 years ago. I said, do they have any baptism? He said, the last baptism they had in that church was 20 years ago. I said, I don't want this church. He said, it is yours. It's our gift to you. <laughs> so the whole thing was really a done deal, was just to announce it to me. I said, that's fine. We'll take it. So I went there the first Sabbath. I took my family. I have two children. And I didn't see 13 people. I only saw nine. Never saw 13. But if you add my wife, myself, my two kids, that would make it 13 people. So they were people of hope. And uh, I sat in my office and I wrote 10 things to revive this church. I was excited about it, and I went to my first board meeting at this church. And I thought I would start with something simple and then get to my meat in the 10 points in my list. I said, uh, I notice we don't have a bulletin here. Why don't we have a bulletin? Head elder stood up. He was in the habit of standing up every time he talked. And he talked with a very thick German accent. And he said, that is a ridiculous idea. We don't need a bulletin. There are only 13 of us. We know everything that needs to be known. Plus, if we do that, we will ruin the environment and kill it. And then he went for two hours talking about how the 13 bulletins of my church will ruin the environment. By the time he was done, I was checked out. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to get out of that place. Well, I, I left, gathered my courage, went back again to my list of 10 points to revive this church, tweaked it, modified it, and went back again to this church, to the board meeting. And I again wanted to start with something simple and then get into my 10 points. So I, I said, I noticed that we don't have potlucks at this church. It would be nice to eat together so we could get to know each other. Head elder stood up. <laughs> my heart sank inside of me. Every time this guy stood up, my heart went down. Every time. And he said, Pastor, that is the most ridiculous idea I ever have heard in my life. I have to be honest with you and tell you, here at this church, we hate each other. And if we will eat with each other, we will kill each other. And then he went for two hours talking about the history of this church and all of the problems of this church. By the time he was done, I was checked out. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to get out. Third month, again, I tweaked my list. I went back to another board meeting. This time, I said, I'm not going to deal with anything small. I'm going to deal with my list. 
So I said, I notice we don't have Sabbath school for the children here at this church. And there was a reason why they did not have Sabbath school for the children. Because the youngest person in that church was a woman by the name of Edna, who was 81 years old. <laughs> That's why they didn't have any Sabbath school for the children. So I said, why don't we have Sabbath school for the children? And my idea was you go out in the neighborhood, recruit the kids to come to the church. You could have some food for them, and some craft, teach them about the Bible, and encourage them to bring their families to come the following week. Head elder stood up. My heart went down. And he said, that's not a bad idea. And I had a heart attack at that <laughs> moment. And then he proceeded to say, as long as you will be in it. And then he went for an hour at least, telling everybody how I was the worst pastor he ever have worked. And he pointed to all of my faults and all of my problems. And he graciously have agreed to sit during the Sabbath school and teach me how to become a better pastor. That was his idea. I listened to all of this stuff. And then I left. I was extremely discouraged. So I called a friend of mine. I, I told him about the situation. He said, I have the solution for you. I said, I'm dying to know what it is. Please tell me. He said, first, you need to pray the prayers of John Knox. John Knox was the reformer from Scotland. I said, I don't know his prayers. He said, John Knox prayed that God will give him Scotland or he will die. I said, I don't want to pray this prayer. I don't want to die. <laughs> he said, you're not going to die. You just pray this prayer. So we prayed at that moment. By that time, it was midnight. And we prayed earnestly that God will give us that valley. I said, what is the second thing? He said, you need to surrender this church to Jesus. You are taking it very personal. This is not your church. This is Jesus' church. And then he told me the story that I just shared with you from the Bible. The story of this little boy who gave his lunch to Jesus. And miraculously, it was a blessing to everyone, and including us who are living 2,000 years from that story. He said, if you surrender this church to Jesus, a great miracle will take place. So right there at midnight, we prayed and we surrendered that church to Jesus. And the following day, I drove to where that church was again. The church was in a valley and many hills around it. And I start walking on these hills, and a claim 
the dollar for Jesus. And then I started to preach to that little church about the importance of prayer. And I preached a bunch of sermons on a prayer. And I claimed that valley for Jesus in my prayer every day. And then one of my sermons was on intercessory prayer. One person caught the vision for intercessory prayer. It was Edna, the youngest one in the class. She went home. She knelt down beside her bed. And she said, Lord, Pastor Joe, challenge us to pray for someone. I don't know who to pray for. And the Lord immediately put the name of Michelle. Michelle was her neighbor, a young lady who was 25 years old. But she was in the habit of breaking all of the Ten Commandments every day a million times. She slept with a different guy every night. She was on drugs, alcoholic. She lived a terribly messed up life. And Edna's first reaction to God was, you are telling me to pray for the wrong person. Because all her life, Edna looked at Michelle in a very judgmental way. So she prays, she said, Lord, give me another name. And God again put the name of Michelle on her heart. This went on for more than an hour, she told me. Finally, she surrendered. And she started to pray for Michelle. The first thing that happened was, that God gave love in the heart of Edna for Michelle. That's really what happens when we pray for other people. We start loving them. We start caring about them. We start to be interested in them. And this love that God gave Edna blossomed into a wonderful relationship. Edna started to build relationship with, with Michelle. And she started to invite her over to her house, go and visit with her. And especially on Friday night, she wanted her to experience a taste of what the Sabbath looks like. She will invite her for a special dinner. Uh, and she made it as special as she could. And eventually, Edna became a mentor. To Michelle. Wonderful relationship. They became close friends. Well, one day, I went to the board, and I had only one item on the agenda. That's it. And I, I said, I would like to conduct an evangelistic meeting at this church. That's it. Had elders stood up, and my heart didn't go down because I trusted in Jesus. I surrendered that church into the hands of Jesus. He said, we tried that 26 years ago. 
and it did not work. And I am putting my foot down. We're not doing it again. It's a waste of money and resources. And he went on and on about how these things don't work. And I kept listening to him. And finally, he ran out of steam. And I said to him, look, I'll make a deal with you. You allow me to do this one more time. And if it doesn't work, I would never ask you to do anything after that. He said, are you willing to put it in writing? I have to sign a document that if this evangelistic meeting does not work, I am never asking this church for anything after that. Well, I left the board meeting and I called my conference president. I explained to him the situation and I said, would you please double the amount of money you give to a church this size? He said, I will triple it. Just go for it. Just do it. <laughs> and I called all of my friends. I asked them to fast and to pray for me. Well, the evangelistic meeting was going to start on a Friday night. On a Tuesday of the same week, just a few days before my meeting was going to start, Michelle went hunting with her mother. But she drank, she became disoriented, and she shot her mother, mistaking her for a deer. The mother survived. She was shot in the arm. But the experience shook her up. For comfort, she went to Edna. And Edna did a marvelous job ministering to her. She had her stay in her house. She prayed with her. She ministered with her. She comforted her. And on Friday night, she brought her to my meeting. Well, on Friday night, I went to the church at 5 o'clock. I set up the slides here, and they were on the second coming of Christ. And this church had a, a room on the side, just like here. So I went to that room, and I knelt down, and I prayed for two hours. I prayed for the community, for the church. I prayed for me, for the presentation. And I came out to preach. 7 p.m. That's when the meeting started. And I looked at the crowd. And I have one of the greatest letdown you could ever have. No one from the community showed up. No one. Uh, my nine faithful people were there, and Michelle was there. We put billboards. We put it in the paper. We send a flyer. No one showed up. So I was angry with God. So why would you do that to me? We did all of this stuff. We prayed about it. We fasted. We advertised. And no one came. I said, I cannot do anything in this church anymore. That's it. I, I made a commitment to the, to the church that if this fails, that's it. Well, finally, I said, I have to preach. You, you have to save face. So 
I looked at the slide, and I wanted to talk something about the second coming. And I opened my mouth, and nothing came out. God shut my mouth. I was extremely uncomfortable. So I tried again, and nothing comes out. And then I heard the voice of God saying to me, forget about the second coming for right now. I'm going to give you the sermon you are going to preach tonight. Uh, he, he said to me, I want you to preach tonight about my life. And I preached for 45 minutes, a sermon I did not prepare for. Almost the entire time I preached that sermon, I looked at Michelle, who was sitting somewhere in the middle over here. I went from story to story in the Bible and from my own personal experience about how much God loves us. I, I told her about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves us. I said to her, God is not interested in your past, but God has a glorious future for you. I, I said to her, it doesn't matter what you did. God has a better life for you. In Jesus, any one of us could become a new man and a new woman. That's really the greatest thing that Jesus does for us. He changes us. He gives us hope. He gives us grace. He gives us eternity. For 45 minutes, I tried to convey the gospel to this woman. And then I gave an altar call. And Edna dragged Michelle to the front. And I prayed, and everybody left except the three of us. And we sat in the front, and I started to explain the gospel to her. I started to explain that we all have sinned, not only her. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus stepped in and took our place. We all deserve to die, but Jesus took our place. I said to her, God forgives you of every, of every one of your sins. You don't have to worry about them. They all are nailed to the cross. I will never forget it. About 2 o'clock in the morning, she looked at me, and tears were coming down her eyes, saying, I don't have to sleep with a different guy every night to feel love. Jesus loves me. It's like the light of God started to shine inside of her. It's, it's, it's the love of God penetrated into the depth of her being. She started to feel it. She started to experience it. She said, I don't have to do drugs anymore to feel good about myself. Jesus loves me. See, the love of Jesus changed everything about this woman. 
and I am crying, and she's crying, and Edna took this young woman into her arm and started kissing her and crying with her. And I looked at her and I said, Michelle, would you like to give your heart to Jesus? She said, yes. Well, I said, pray after me and give your heart to Jesus. And right there at 2 p.m., 2 a.m. actually, 2 a.m., she prayed after me and she gave her heart to Jesus. And after her prayer, as she was crying, you could see the joy of the Lord all over her. And I went and took a Bible, and I said, uh, Michelle, uh, this Bible is our gift to you. And look, I'm going to put a marker here on John chapter 1, right here. I know it's too late, but when you wake up in the morning, I'd like you to read one chapter, and you come back again tomorrow night. It was 2.30 in the morning. We were all very, very tired, and we all left. I had two services in the morning and one in the afternoon. And uh, I went back again at 5 p.m. to that church again. And I went to the side room and I started to pray. And then came out. And I looked at the crowd. There were nine people. Plus Michelle. Nine. Th those are my faithful people. Plus Michelle. Plus. 54 more people. 54 more people showed up. Here's what happened. Michelle woke up in the morning, sometime, I don't know, 10 o'clock, whatever, and the Bible was next to her. I told her to leave it next to her bed so she would remember it. She picked it up and started reading chapter 1. And it, she read about the word that became flesh and it dwelled among us. That's really the theme of chapter one. And the word of God, there's power in the Bible, went inside of her, touched her, moved her. So she couldn't put the Bible down. So she read chapter two. And in chapter two, we read about a miracle that Jesus performed. And the disciples, the Bible says, started to believe in him as a result of that miracle that he performed. And she knelt down beside her bed and prayed that she will continue to believe in Jesus. She wanted to have the same experience that the people in the Bible had. She moved to chapter 3, and chapter 3, of course, is the most famous of all of them, and that is why uh, she couldn't put it down. She had to read about, for God so loved the world. Friends, I want to tell you, if you were the only person on the planet Earth, Jesus would still have died for you. It doesn't matter. 
You know, it doesn't matter to Jesus what you have done, who you are, what color you have, what education you have. What matters to him is you come to him. And then she moved to chapter 4. Just She's gripped by the word of God. She moved to chapter 4, and she quit. What is in chapter 4? The women at the well. What did the women at the well do? The women at the well had an encounter with Jesus. The encounter was so compelling. She went home and told her village. And everyone in the village came to hear about Jesus. And it's amazing, by the way, especially in the light that this woman in the culture, and still even up to today, was the equivalent of a prostitute. She had zero credibility. But the encounter was so compelling, so unbelievable. Everybody in the village wanted it. So they came to meet Jesus. And Michelle said, if this woman could do it, I could do it too. So she got on the phone and she called all of her relatives and all of her friends about the experience she had the previous night and invited them to come to the meeting. 54 of them showed up. It's amazing. And at the end of the meeting, a few weeks later, she was baptized, plus 11 more of her family got baptized. And all of this in a church that have not had any baptism for 20 years. Overnight, that church went from nine people to over 20 people, more than double. But here is the other miracle that happened. God took two women. One is 81. The other one is 25. Nothing in common between them. One of them grew up in the church, never rebelled. She didn't even know the meaning of that word. She played the piano for that church, even though she didn't know really how to play the piano. But people loved her anyway because it was Edna who was playing. And the, and, and the other one is a woman who grew up on the street. And through their prayer and through their ministry, a remarkable revival happened to that church. I actually had that church for about four and a half years. And then we gave it to somebody else. First Sabbath, I was there. There were nine people. Plus my family. My wife, my two kids, myself. Four and a half years later, there were still nine people. Which shows that I was a terrific pastor. Because not one of them died in the five years I spent with them. Especially in the light that the youngest one was 81. By that time, she was 86. Not one of them died. Plus my family. 
Bless Michelle. Bless 189 more people. 189 more people. That church of nine people, it grew to 200 people in attendance. The story in the Bible is about a little boy. And because he was willing to give everything to Jesus, a great miracle happened. The story I am sharing with you is about a woman who was 81 years old. And a, a, a young woman of 25 who God used to bring a revival to a dying church. I, I would never forget the conference president came when we gave it to somebody else. And he was amazed. The kids that were there at that church, the young people, the old people, that church was revived, was changed, all as a result of giving everything into the hands of Jesus. Now you might ask, what happened to my head elders? At the end of the meeting, he came to me and he said, can we do this again next year? <laughs> so God changed his heart. Really, that is God's specialty, changing hearts. And he loves to do it over and over and over. I want you to think about, really, it doesn't matter about your age. Whether you are, do we have anybody who is 80 here in this crowd? We have somebody over there who is 80. Do we have anybody who is a little boy or a little girl? Let me see your hand, maybe 10 years. Or how old are you? Oh, she is younger than that. <laughs> yeah, you are too. Uh, do we have anybody who is 25? Or around there, 20 to 30 to 40? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you are a woman or a man. It doesn't matter whether you have tons of talents or nothing. The key is surrender. It's putting everything into the hands of Jesus. If, if that is your desire, I'd like you to stand up with me. And then I'd like you to pray. Maybe every a group of three, four people, pray that you will be used by God in a very powerful way. Like that boy in the Bible or that woman who was 81 years old. So every three, four people pray about it, that God will do a miracle through you. Yeah, spread out anywhere you feel comfortable. Just pray that God will duplicate this miracle through your life.
Let's pray. If you are praying, continue to pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we surrender everything to you. Our talents, our needs, our ambition, and, and Lord, uh, we want this story to be repeated over and over and over. I don't know how many churches are presented here, but I pray that every one of them will experience a revival. Uh, I, I don't know how many people are here, but I pray every one of them will fall madly in love with you and will experience this warmth and grace falling into his heart and, and her heart and moving closer to the throne of grace. Uh, Lord, uh, we are claiming this territory for you, all of us, and we know that uh, you are more than capable of answering our prayer. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what I really encourage you to do? It's only 8.30. Uh, linger over here and talk about what you can do for the Lord. Dream big dreams. Just sit down in your church, the friends you know, and Talk about how God can use you in a very powerful way. Maybe you could talk about uh, who is the Michelle in your life. Uh, you know, think about it. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's co-worker. Maybe it's your daughter or your son. Who is the Michelle in your life? 
Think about that. And repeat this story. God bless you.